0: Hello everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers.
1: that burn join us as we ponder the existences of god and man and how belief creates the gods in the raven tower hi i'm nicole
0: and i'm robin and this fortnight on books that burn we have a guest please introduce yourself hello
2: thanks for having me my name is andrew mcguire from the uh, be nostalgic podcast
0: excellent and we'll have links to that in the show notes for our factions we have several different kinds of gods and god-ish things for the ancient ones we have the strength and patience of the hill it's my my favorite character name in this whole book uh the myriad among the gods of Iridin we have the raven the god of the silent forest and the mounder up of skulls in the guards that the gods of ard visctia we have oisin and adam In the gods of the tell we have stalker the gods of Zula, we have the snake. And among the other gods of the north, we have the drowned one, the mother of owls, and the fox with red eyes. Then we also have a bunch of humans. We have Iolo, Moat, the raven's leafs, Lord Hebal, Lord Radaha, Lord Dira of Oenda, Tikaz, Oskul, Okim, Dupesu, Iru, Giset, and Siat. Uh, for our... Sorry, my jaw moving for words i don't usually have to say um our first topic is microaggressions specifically for Oscar and okim who are twins and in the cultures in this book that is either a very negative or neutral ish but still concerning thing for the people around them uh <laughs> Anyone want to start us off for this one?
1: Uh, so there's a very specific um, type of, of God-strengthening world-building type sacrifice, and this particular culture um, sacrifices twins uh, very close to or right at birth to their own particular God of the Forest, uh, who is... Did we put him... Oh, he's the Silent the god of the silent forest. And so Oscar and Oakum are fully grown adult twins who were rescued from this fate. But anytime they come back home to their own um, initial culture, they, there's just a lot of very, very detailed, specific microaggressive behaviors that they encounter. And it's very, it's very intentionally dictated. Like it's not subtle on the narratives part even if it's subtle mm-hmm. on individual characters' parts. Um, and
0: we have a, it's a little bit of a long quote, but I think it, I'm going to say it here because it kind of is the foundation for all the rest of the microaggressions we're going to discuss with them. Um, also, the the book is narrated by a single character, but since it fo- sometimes follows a second character, that means that sometimes it's in second person. So the you in this instant in this instance, is Yolo. As you passed them on the stairs, I think you noticed, or at least suspected what they were, by the sudden small twitch of your eyebrows, the tightening of your already tense shoulders, the almost imperceptible movement of your left hand as you stopped yourself from making that gesture you had made earlier atop the tower. You hit it well, but Oskil and O'Kim had seen such looks and that gesture all their lives. And in this book, it has a very specific cultural context of, oh no, that's a twin.
1: But well, and specifically that twins are unlucky or evil um, it's, somehow.
2: It's building on a trope that, that we can recognize from movies and books already um, that twins are kind of not to be trusted and generally um, unliked. Like you have the twins in Series of Unfortunate Events. You have um, mm-hmm. In the Shining. You have um, uh-huh. uh, The Wicker Man. Uh, that has all the twins in the village. So I I feel that the narrator, well, the author kind of knows this particular trope and takes that and puts it, how would that work in this particular setting?
1: Yeah.
0: And also, um, I don't have a particular real world culture to name, but a thing I'm vaguely aware of is that there have been cultures previously that thought twins were unlucky and in some cases killed them so this this could either be hey some cultures used to do this let's put this in the book and have it be this thing or it could be a particular expression of as you said this even still present cultural thing like when i say cultural in this context i mean like even in the u.s in movies of twins are kind of creepy let's use that um it's yeah it's definitely taking advantage of some combination of that and I will
1: point out that in the actual world building, um, when these particular twins were were saved from being sacrifices, uh I think um Andrew pointed this out and we were actually figuring out what we were talking about for this episode, a cow was sacrificed in place of them. So this is not uh, a this is not a world where all twins must die. <laughs> um this is a world where sacrifices must happen And in this one particular culture, that sacrifice a lot of times includes twin babies. Um, But the point of this was not getting rid of the twins. The point of this was the sacrifice. But it is true that in this particular area, fully grown adult twins are are now subject to these microaggressions.
0: But at a certain point, if you have a culture that is... You oh, absolutely. sacrifice the twin, and if you don't, you need to replace it with another sacrifice. It still sets up the oh, idea yeah. that they are objects and bodies and not full people. Yes. And well, then there aren't I, very many of
1: them. I actually want to push back on the not full people part because okay. something we'll talk about in a later topic is the importance of volunteer, fully grown, real people adult sacrifices yeah so
0: like a sacrifice is more powerful in this right well when it is voluntary and
1: and so that's something where it, it i actually don't think this is a twins aren't real people situation only because in this in this entire world if they're not real people then they wouldn't it wouldn't be as powerful does that make like <laughs> that's kind of a thought yeah. that i have like i but they are definitely objectified yes oh yeah for sure um or it not well I was I don't know if objectified is the right word. They're def- they're definitely it, targeted. Their humanity is secondary to their status
0: as twins and a good sacrifice as children. Yes. At least. Yes. And that's the kind of thing that then carries yes. on into stuff like this microaggression, where, you know, maybe you know, this YOLO hasn't really met twins before (laughs) but (laughs) the book makes it very clear that the twins are very used to um i don't know if this is culturally the equivalent of a sign to ward away evil or something like that but it definitely has that feel it has the feel of of like
1: calling on the god of the forest to for protection it has that like whether it's a warding or whether it's a like a protective charm either way
2: right um it's a protective ward uh, i think they they call it um the other thing is that if this story was told from their point of view, it would be them overcoming adversity. Instead, you get a paragraph that's almost uh, taunting them for being successful. <laughs> like they they were they were successful uh-huh. by being sneaky and this and that. Um, whereas from if it had been from their perspective, they overcame that adversity. but they kind of make a point to make their success something not great.
0: Yeah, like the bit where Mowack calls them a credit to whoever bore you because the like all the the stuff around that phrase makes it very clear that he is referring to them being twins and yet somehow being alive and somehow you have managed to still be alive I don't know. Generally, that's not super positive when people say that to somebody. <laughs> it's like how, how how are how are you still around and thriving or something. Yeah. Like if you feel the need to call it out, it has like this weird implication and this line of a credit to whoever bore you is this book's <sighs> version of yeah. Oh, you're doing well.
2: Just like,
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that, like, how are you still around is either the most endearing or the most passive aggressively antagonistic sentence you can say to someone depending on your relationship with them. <laughs> like, yeah, like, it's, it, there's like, no in between there.
0: I mean, like, now that I'm in Louisiana, I'm like, oh, you could add a bless your heart to this. Like, <laughs> there's, like, there's diff like, there's different, like, literal, culturally specific sentences
1: that all mean give this, this. feeling.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the one in this book. Um, also, it gets a little weird when this whole book is weird. Most, most books are weird. I'm not calling this one out as being more weird than other books. But it, it later on is heavily implied that they're actually Lord Habal's children, which makes them a Watt's cousin. Mm-hmm. And him having taunted and like just emotionally abused them when all of them were children mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: is referred to more than once, and like they they bring it up to someone else as like you were an adult. Why did you let him just do this to us? We were all kids. Um,
1: uh, something else that just occurred to me too. There's a an- I hadn't actually put these two sentences together until just now, but there's a a point where they're kind of introducing Oscar and Oakum, uh, where they where they kind of say like, oh, you know, they were rescued because maybe perhaps somebody found them and cared because they were that person's children or grandchildren, and then we find out that they're Hibal's children, like right.
0: Which I just said, yeah. Well, that's what
1: I'm saying is I hadn't put those two things mm. together yet.
0: Oh, oh, that someone says maybe they're alive because they're related to someone important. And then later we find out who that is. Yeah.
1: And then that's someone important. And and also, I just want to point out that in canon, this means Ugh. that Hibal has a history of disobeying the gods because he just doesn't want to do that thing oh, yeah. that actually sets up his character is in a really roundabout like backlog kind of way that k- like <laughs> kind of sets up his character to be like oh yeah okay no he was nefarious the whole time <laughs> which mm-hmm. I, it, it just it, it's weird because when you put it in that context like before putting it in that context it's very much like oh somebody saved the babies now it's like no they were just tools he just wanted to see what he could I get mean- away with and what he had to do and then if he's we're abusive to them, around- like there's a whole thing there. And we're
0: gonna wrap around to this more specifically in our third topic, but I just want to connect the thought that it is from an an author made all these choices perspective, mm-hmm. which is the lens we bring to this podcast. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit odd to have the saved the baby from sacrifices and didn't want to keep having a bunch of people who commit suicide so that their kid can take their place and will kill themselves later for this god like that the the, the person who doesn't want the twin infanticide and the lineage of suicide it like it seems a little bit like I understand how in this book he is not the bad guy but it feels a little weird (sighs) to have the person who's pushing back against those two things be framed as the bad guy there are other reasons why he is
1: I don't I don't think he's pushing back against okay. those two things. I think he went, those are my lineage, and I didn't say they were going to die yet. I don't think it had mm, anything then... to do with pushing back against anything. I think he's literally just possessive and said, nope, those are mine. You can't have them yet, God.
2: But he and then... he's also pushing. If he is pushing back against them, it's not because he wants the kids saved. It's because he wants the gods dead so he has the power and doesn't have to right. obey them.
1: Oh, yeah. Right. That's true. Well, because yes. he also comes back and literally canonically abuses them. Like, he doesn't care about their welfare at all. He just cares about him.
0: And also, like, the the way that he now has them as tools where he doesn't have to claim what they do right. that's bad. Right. Because they are not known to be his children. Like, that's, that's a little odd.
1: And because they're twins, so he can brush it off as, ah, that's right. their fault. <laughs> like, in the story.
0: Right. But, like, Yes he he is not a good person he is not doing any of these hypothetically good things for good reasons (laughs) but also the author chose to make it be that none of the technically maybe good things that he is doing are good and like that's a choice yeah which is what i meant yeah
1: no no yes definitely i just wanted to kind of point Mm -hmm. out that i don't i just i think it
0: Oh, he's not doing them for good reasons.
1: I think it matters that this isn't some campaign against Oh, he's not thing he sees as a problem. He's literally Yeah, no, he's literally just saying, No, those are my babies. Mm. And you can't have them because I didn't say you could and like I don't know, that seems (laughs) that's just in character, like, these are my babies, this is my throne, this is my raven. Mm-hmm. This is my power. This is my children. Like but
0: but not so far as to actually claim responsibility for them.
1: Oh, just oh he doesn't want responsibility. Him. He just wants the power. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't t- you when you're after that power, you don't take those consequences, Robin. <laughs> like you just want the power. That that's but just it just it's very much in canon. I do appreciate that he's not just As you were saying, like, he's doing things that could be perceived, especially from a reader perspective, as being positive. Um, But that's actually, I don't know, that seems very true to life. Like, there's very few people who sit around cackling evilly, like, I will be the bad guy. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: that's, that's, I mean, like, those people... Even the people that kind of look that way to us, they don't necessarily look at themselves that way. There's always a reason they think what they're doing is justified or right or helpful or positive, even if the reasons for it are incredibly evil and and painful. Right, because
0: they're not like, oh, I'm the bad guy. It's, oh, I'm absolutely going to do this thing and that thing is bad.
1: Right, right. It's, oh... You might not understand, but it's because you're misguided, or you know, mm. and so it just it makes I don't know. It made a lot of narrative sense to me to have him do this seemingly positive thing, and then, or we find out that the seemingly positive thing happened, but no, actually, <laughs> like <sighs> I don't, I don't know. That just seems very. It feels very tangible to me. It feels very real. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense, like
0: Andrew, did you have any last thoughts on this section?
2: No, um, there's something he does that I feel fits better in a different section that I'll bring up that...
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> For IOLO and dissociation and dysphoria. So, first I think we need to address what it does to read a book in second person. Uh, your mileage may vary. You might be fine. I was immediately personally dysphoric at being addressed in with you and not my pronouns. That that was that was not fun. Uh pronouns are they them? The person being addressed as you in this book uses he him. Uh you might be totally fine. I wasn't. It also was a little like I'm glad that some book did this, and I know this isn't the first book to do this, but Made it feel like I was supposed to be Iolo, especially when we don't find out his name for like a long time.
2: Yeah, it. it I had the pretty much, I mean, not the pronouns bit, but definitely the same reaction where I was spending quite a few chapters um, trying to figure out how to read the book because I was getting that sort of... I don't know who I am. I don't know my name. I don't know my background. I don't know any of that. And we're going through this story as if I know those things. Um, and <laughs> it was to the point where for a while I was even considering that the God's God narrating was actually an outside voice from Yolo himself. Um, mm. But obviously things happen. I'm like, Oh, Nope, that's not true. But I feel like once you do get past that, you do get used to it. Um, the, you know, but but it is. It it definitely took me a few chapters to kind of get into the swing of things, especially when they're um, very early on. There was this one point that stood out to me as kind of this moment where I didn't know what happened. Where they kind of go raid right a camp, and they're outside the camp, and they're like, "We have to get to the center of the camp. There's all kinds of guards. So this is gonna be super tough." and we're at the center of the camp and i was like and i i just took that i'm like well so is this deliberate are we supposed to not feel like we're in this character at least not all the time because we just skipped this loss of time you know um so for me it was very interesting
1: so that's okay here's the interesting part of it for me both of those things that you two just described are the things that hooked me into feeling the perspective that it was written in. Like both of those things were solid from my, from my perspective were solid upfront clear indicators of whose voice, like even, even the description of the camp from my perspective was great because up until this point we had had this God who canonically moves and thinks very slowly, he takes years to ponder the passing of the sun <laughs> <laughs> like and so this feeling of like this God only really marks the crucial moments in points of time because those are the only things that like matter because everything else happens, and then he thinks about it for a bit and like and so that feeling of like the the this this god narrating that they that Moat said, I'll gonna do it. And then Moat and um uh Moat and IOLO say we got through we had been given passwords and we successfully reached the center. That to me felt so in line with all of the other things that this God has narrated in the book. And the fact that like up front within like two paragraphs, something like that at the very beginning of chapter one from my perspective there was super clear indicators that you and then signifying you by giving the description of iolo like all of that was just like it built it so solidly in my head that i was hearing or reading the narration of somebody who was talking to somebody else and i was just watching this storytelling happen and like it felt very solid and very real and very good. <laughs> and like, uh-huh. it was, it's just really funny to hear that you guys had had a very different experience with it because, from my perspective, it put me, and I, I had actually pulled these books out so I would remember which, which ones they were. It put me directly in that feeling that reading the Bartimaeus trilogy by Jonathan Stroud or the storyteller's daughter by Cameron Doki gives me. This feeling of like us listening to somebody else being told, or actually for that matter, the Andalite Chronicles. Um, but that that feeling of like you're listening in on somebody else passing a story on, it put me right in that headspace, and um, yeah, it was just <laughs> it
2: was, was yeah like it uh, was Andalite Chronicles it, in it, uh, second person. I I read Animorphs like so long ago.
1: It was not in second person. It not, uh, okay. it was in. It's not in second person, but but the whole Animorph series, including the but in, in general, is being told as a story being told to the reader because we are the audience. Mm-hmm. But the Andalite Chronicles is the only one of those books where we, the reader, are being told the story of the time that Tobias sat and listened to a story. So it's not in second person, but the framing is the same and it gives me personally reading it the same kind of like third hand watching someone else hear a thing kind of feeling. Gotcha. I do. I do. Um, I remember that slightly,
2: but I haven't read in ages.
1: (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's that is actually the only one of the books I listed that's not in second person. Mm. Um, But it it still gives me personally that same kind of like. Right. Like atmosphere, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um But yeah, like, I just, I don't know. I think it's really interesting that, like, (laughs) we have, like, a dichotomy of, like, this weird separation versus just, like, oh, okay, this is where I am. And, like, but none of us just kind of read it, you know? Mm -hmm. Actually, so I have a question for the two of you, because you did have this experience. How did that change your reading of the book?
0: I would have stopped at 50 pages if it hadn't been for the podcast.
2: I'd have the exact same thing. In fact, I could probably dig out screenshots where I was messaging my friend where I'm like, What is going on? I don't understand. Um
0: and getting to dysphoria is our second part of this topic, like the, there was a reference to IOLO having um bindings, but it doesn't say what kind of bindings, at least that early in the book. And so, like, I was I messaged people and I was like, Hey, I'm very dysphoric being addressed as he, him. There's something that makes it look like maybe this main character is trans. If the main character is trans, I can keep going. But otherwise, this is very stressful. And I got back some replies that were like, yeah, 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 main character is trans. And I'm like, cool. I am not being put in the headspace of being assumed to be a cis male. Great. Excellent. Got it. And I just, I, I needed to know that in order to keep going.
2: I, I will say that yeah. the author did very, like I said, if it weren't for those first few chapters, I probably wouldn't have kept reading if it weren't for this podcast. But by the end, I will say that I don't know how the switch happened, when the switch happened, but at some point I just accepted it. And there was a point where, and I listened to the audiobook and I had the, the text there if I needed to like cross-reference something. There was points where I was driving home in my car, yelling at the radio. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why are you doing this to me? Oh, no. Mawa, why don't you believe me?
1: <laughs> Look, I yeah. didn't do this. Yeah, I feel like... what, I'm not lying. Why are you upset? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's one of those things where... I, I Andrew, this might not be re- the thing for you, but like... I know with Robin like the the misgendering is a thing but like for me I think I think the fact that I I have no emotional connection to any pronouns or gender of any kind and I just kind of find the whole concept just like frustrating I guess because I'm supposed to care and I just don't care. I honestly like this wasn't refreshing. That's not a good word to use. But it was a piece of information for me not it didn't feel personal
0: whereas for me i am i am a gender, and being addressed with gendered pronouns is distressing sometimes being addressed with literally any pronouns is distressing uh but i'm i'm not at the point of saying please do not refer to me <laughs> that's not where i am but like having having constantly being talked to directly and not the right pronouns combined with having a character who while they don't have dysphoria about he doesn't have dysphoria about his chest at least not that we get because you know we're not actually hearing his thoughts we do have other people being very concerned with feeling like they need to do something about him having a chest and so that was stressful yeah
1: yeah yeah, no, th- like intellectually, that makes sense. I just, I don't, I don't know. It was really funny because the the pronoun spe- specific, uh, specific, specificity,
0: specifically, no,
1: specificity, specific, yes, that one, um, <laughs> 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 specificity. I,
0: I feel like specificity is specificity. something that I help you with every. Neh. 10 years yeah
1: oh well that too before this um yeah i feel like like that particular pronoun usage directed at for like a paragraph what was what felt like it might have been the reader to me was a clue to me because it it didn't feel personal because i have no positive connotation or negative associations with that pronoun and so it was like the fact that it was just it was so specific and so intentional told me that I was looking for a male character that the narrator was talking to and like I was like oh okay and then in like a paragraph the first two characters we meet are both male characters and it's very clear which one the narrator is addressing like i was like oh a clue oh hey the puzzle solved <laughs> like oh wonderful um it just felt very easy
0: i think it would have helped me if we had if we had gotten his name earlier that would have helped because
1: really the, the point where mm, it flipped of it being for me, you.
0: right the mm-hmm. point where it flipped for me and i was able to just relax and enjoy the rest of the book is when we get his name that's gotcha that's where it, that's definitely where it changed for me but that is more than 50 pages into the yeah book.
2: i think
1: but see i feel i feel like if that had happened to me reading it like if that had happened me reading it that would have felt super jarring because you don't go up to somebody and say robin the person to whom i am addressing that's not how people talk it's just not like- you say you I mean,
0: Andrew, it seems like you had a thought.
2: I was going to say um, yeah. with, with the name, I actually I'm going to I'm going to kind of back that up because it was either I needed more information or less information. Um, what, mm, okay. what, what threw me off was this like middle ground of you're describing me. <laughs> And I'm like, like, okay, but I don't know who I am. But if you had not described to anyway, you're just like, oh, Marla was talking to you, da, 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 da. I could be like, okay, I'm in the, I'm in the story. That's it. That, this is me. There's no description. I, I'm just a, you know, um, like a video game. I'm a blank character. And that's, that's my imprint. Um,
0: like it's describing his hair. It's describing his clothing, but no name. And like that. Yeah, that was very. Like, and like even you could
2: if, have done that if, um, and then switched. Yeah, you're right. Uh, oh, yeah. Nicole, you can't just say, like, oh, But I, this character you know, doesn't I'm do that to you anybody. But, um, I don't if know. If Mawa had said, hey, Aolo.
0: Since there's a second person to talk to. So, like, I mean, I, like. I use my spouse's well, name. Well, that's the thing her, is,
1: this character like, doesn't all do the that. Time. The like, entire... if you're talking to someone,
0: like there are very natural ways to have in a conversation that you like say the other person's name.
1: But he's and... not. Ta- but the character isn't talking to Mawat. Do you know what I mean? Well, Mawat uh,
0: is with Yolo. I'm just saying that.
1: Oh, no, 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 oh, no, I, thought no, that's what I you didn't. Were I don't
0: need. I don't need the the patient. This. I don't need the strength and patience of the hill to say Iolo. I didn't. It didn't need to be that. But but he could have been just. Dis- oh no! no. The strength not that. Patience okay. could not have that you needed the patience to this call conversation out. between Iolo and Mawat, and it could have been okay. that Mawat uses understand. Iolo's name because we get Mawat's <laughs> name. We yeah. Sorry, I didn't. I needed somebody. Right. No. Somebody needed to say yeah. Iolo. Yeah. Seventy-five but, pages but, but earlier. But royalty especially,
1: doesn't. Especially
2: since Yolo's new to the city. Because Moat hey, is This the is my heir. you know assistant Iolo <laughs> This
1: makes total sense to me. Right. No, like yeah. No, I understand. But we
0: get Moat's name and we didn't get Yolo's.
1: No, I know. Like, I know. I know. But that's that's but, what I'm just saying is like to... it's just really funny to me that this particular but, book but choice. But remember, like hundred percent worked for me. Choice. Yes, there are did, book did not work for either of you two. But that's just that's that's interesting. <laughs> oh, I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's just you at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just, I'm not saying it's just I'm the like, two of I'm, you either. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm I'm
0: I'm glad we have Andrew on this episode just <laughs> to have backup of like it's not just me, it's not just gender dysphoria. This is a, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so our, our other um topic in this in this section is um dysphoria and we to be clear we don't know if iolo has dysphoria i know this triggered my dysphoria but i don't know we don't know if iolo does but the main way that we interact with iolo being a trans character is when he is refuting womanhood and that like it 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 made it like i'm I am glad that there's a book with a trans character. I want so many books with trans main characters that I can just like have my pick and I'm happily exploring them. I wouldn't recommend this book on the basis of it being a trans main character, even though it is. I would recommend it as a murder mystery about whether or not there is a body. Um, <laughs> like I recommend it on that basis, but like it, there's there's stuff with um, the way he interacts with masculinity and rejecting femininity, and there's like constant insinuations that he must be sleeping with Moat, who is his boss. And we we talked about before the recording that there's a couple of different things that could be meant by people saying, "Hey, are you sleeping with Moat?" Because of the way they say it. And Nicole thinks, and I do agree, that some of these people had each of these reasons, and not everybody had the same reason. So it could be homophobic. Of, hey, are you a guy sleeping with your boss? A guy? Or a combination of transphobic and misogynistic, like not seeing him as male, you must just have this job because of your body. Or classist, because there are a bunch of people who comment on his accent and how he's a farmer. And so that means that you have this kind of like steady stream of people being like, (laughs) why are you here? Are you sure you're allowed to be here? Does your boss just want to sleep with you like he we think he should sleep with somebody because like he needs an heir but like are you the one are you the one he's sleeping with and especially combined with we need him to have an heir that tilts a little bit more towards the transphobia plus misogyny which like not seeing um iolo as male and like you absolutely trans man can can and do be pregnant and have kids but like it just it feels like the subjectification that canonically other female characters experience of or canonically female characters experience of mm, someone saying my dad wants me to sleep with iolo because iolo needs to have a kid and so then for... Yeah. Oh, sorry, my dad wants me to sleep with Mowat because Mowat needs to have a kid. So then Yolo being placed in this same kind of yeah. oh, are you sleeping with him? I- it just... It, yeah, feels <laughs> off and like they're not seeing him as male all
1: the well, time. And, and I have a personal... But, <sighs> headcanon like that it's a mix of all three kind of it's hard to for tell a little bit of the kind of why been laid out. why like, i feel like there are specific characters who are just being classist there are specific characters who are being homophobic there are specific characters who are misgendering and then also misogynistic and i, I actually in a weird way like as someone who is a fab, it's not it didn't feel good to read but again with the whole like like the way that it it felt very intersectional in a weird way. (laughs) That's not a positive thing for the experience for the character or for the reader necessarily like at all. But like, there's a lot of times in books where you get this, a character is going to be hurt by a particular thing, whether it is homophobia or classism or, or, or racism or anything else. And over and over and over and over and over, this character is slammed by this one thing forever. And it just feels like, as a reader, you're being pushed into this thing again and again and again and again and again and again. again. In this book, I didn't get this feeling, even though the same narrative of Are You Sleeping With Your Boss Is used over and over and over. The fact that the characters felt like they had different reasons to ask that question, different negative, bad, bigoted reasons, but different reasons to ask the same question, and it was kind of, to me at least, it made sense as like different reasons they're asking the same question. It made it feel less like the author was trying to show us how much trauma the character was facing, and it felt more real and more tangible. Um, But I also think that that's going to make it and we'll get to this in our wrap up. I think that's going to actually kick it up in our impact hierarchy that we rate at the very end, Um, because it feels it feels extremely realistic. Um, So.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah, this felt realistic.
1: (laughs)
2: Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm just going to add this real quick, just as a Mm -hmm. straight straight white cis male. (laughs) <laughs> um i i i'm Fair gonna enough. be talking from a point of privilege and i'm aware of this i'm gonna tell y'all i didn't i didn't catch any of that <laughs> um and, and and in the middle when they kind of like officially just come out and say <laughs> like, okay wonderful. you know he's trans i kind of went oh okay well it didn't yeah. define his character the whole time so that's fine let's keep going um
0: yeah, the first time he goes to sleep, there's a reference to him loosening the bindings. There,
2: there was, but you know what? I sleep. was like, oh, he's a warrior. It's a wound. It's a, a, well, like I, there
1: is also binding on that. Binders. Binders and binding is not a trans, thing trans for a specific. Uh, specific. Yeah.
0: This is true. And that's part of why. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not trans only. But like.
1: For, yeah for no that makes being, sense
0: oh please i just i just trans do trans want to point
1: character. out that like i also initially read it as warrior it binding the, the man. on I can't. clothing and armor <laughs> and then we got but to which, the trans part uh, and i went okay well yeah yeah okay of course you are but that you know i didn't connect binding to being trans either yeah
0: mm, no <laughs> but andrew you were saying that like you didn't you for you him being trans came as a surprise
2: yeah and it but it wasn't like a negative surprise for me it was just like oh and But it did, once I found that out, kind of rework some of the things that they had been saying throughout. Like, um, like I never really yeah. read into the, I don't know, you, are speaking t- with them? But they, they always kind of kept saying, like, walk, talking around that. Like, <laughs> oh, you need to calm <laughs> him down the only way you can. You can
1: fight into the and I'm like and I, mm. and I was just
2: like, I was like, is he char- charismatic? I don't know, is he the only one he listens to?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean... Like, it is definitely that, but yeah, all these people who... I guess that's true, I hadn't thought about that. All these people who he doesn't know, who are like, calm him down the way you can.
1: To be fair, Iolo is also is canonically confused by that, at least as far as the, the, um, the patient is concerned.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're definitely like... Yeah, because they probably assume that he has been sleeping with mawat and so clearly if he's still alive and mawat tolerates him that he must calm him down by sleeping with him or something like yeah that that fits uh yeah all right <laughs> go ahead and hit stop <laughs> on to Possibly our longest topic title, though I'll have to check. Advocated Suicide as Honorable Volunteer Sacrifice.
1: Kind of a lengthy, uh, by Fallout Boy, kind of (laughs) topic going on here.
0: Yeah, um, so what we mean is, in case you did not read the book, um, but are partaking in the episode anyway, welcome. So in the book... There's this thing called the there's a god called the raven, and there's this person that is the Raven's lease, and so the Raven's lease has power and prestige as part of being the voice of the raven. And then there's both a there's a literal bird that's a raven that the god is in, and i I'm fuzzy on exactly what is supposed to trigger this particular action on the part of the human involved, but the human who is the Raven's Lease is supposed to die in exchange for this power. Wait. So they rule for a while, and then they have to die. And What do you mean by triggering um, the action? So is it just... they? Because uh, the Raven's Lease can... It, I think they're supposed to die coinciding with the new bird and the uh, egg they're being born? S- they're
1: supposed to die before the bird is born before the new mouth is born okay right they're so they're supposed to so the the old voice the raven mm. dies of old oh, the age instrument. the instrument dies of whatever yeah i'm assuming mostly the time old age cuz or you know yeah. being pulled apart by housing a god and there's a new egg and there's and a new have- there's a new egg the so in between the time when the old instrument dies and the new instrument is 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 born the old um lease the old lease has to die uh has to kill themselves not uh-huh. be killed by somebody else killed by somebody else not die by disease not run away <laughs> they can't right. live they need to die and the new lease has to be invested on the seat. Yes. Um, there we go. Thank you. So yeah, that's the order. So, so the but bird dies driven, first. Then person. Mm-hmm. Then other persons installed. Then new bird.
0: So the timing is driven by the yeah. life cycle of the bird. Yes. Um. So the Raven's lease in this case is Mawat's father. And Moat bringing Iolo and returning to his home is um prompted by the news that the bird has died the egg is going to hatch in this particular time because i guess of how it always works Mm. and so um he needs to appear and when he gets there his uncle is there and is the lease and that's not supposed to happen and so Milat spends most of the book saying, My father can't my father must be dead because there's no way he would be alive and not done the duty of killing himself. And to to the point that very late in the book, when it indeed turns out that his father is alive and chained in the basement, basically. <sighs> okay, so trigger warning for like the terms that were used against this person vis-a-vis suicide. Mowat tells his father basically that there was enough water to drown himself in and that he should have done it and heavily in that moment either calls him a coward or heavily implies it. Throughout the book when he thinks that his father must be dead, one of the implications is there's no way he would be enough of a coward to still be alive and not have done his duty. So it creates this weird thing where like, it's supposed to be a voluntary sacrifice. And the and Moat is like so devoted to this idea because him growing up to then be the least himself, to then in his time die is so part of like his identity and his personality and his conception of his father that he can't he can't believe that his father would potentially be so cowardly as to not die um which is it's a that's a <laughs> hell of a stance um
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: and i want to reiterate that we don't judge how characters react but we talk about the author making the choice to have this be
2: the system
0: uh, thoughts about this so as a system. it seems
2: that the raven either was very cocky or trying to be merciful by instead of um, calling on like hundreds of sacrifices said you know what one sacrifice will be enough so it seems like he's trying to be merciful so on that oh good this is gonna um, but it is uh definitely implied that he's a thing, but I want to say real quick that when they're searching for the father, literally everyone says we mm-hmm. couldn't find him, and they all know there's a place that literally no one checked, <laughs> and that just bugged me the entire book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but so we have yeah. um. You have the, the silence we talked about in part one where it's twins that are usually like the preferred sacrifice. So you got two people who are children who are not volunteers. Then you have the raven who's saying, you know what, it's going to be one person um, when you know my instrument dies and, and in theory they're doing it voluntarily. So as a system, it's, I don't know if you means the right word, but it's more merciful or justifiable, mm. maybe. Um, yeah. In,
1: in world, in justifiable, yeah. In context, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, that is that is the funny thing is, like you mentioned, like everyone knows there's this place. Mawat also mm-hmm. knows about that place. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean... M'Wat knows there's a place he could be. Like, that's a right. thing that everybody knows, right? M'Wat grew up there, would have known just as much, was the heir, was expected.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Has been up, we assume, to where the raven's nest is before. So for, by, by Based off of comments by the other characters. M'Wat knows. And so why didn't M'Wat Instead he does this
0: like (laughs) ceremonial gesture of sitting in the square naked to shame and prompt the people in power into action and I don't know it it kind of frames him as like as ineffective and like Iolo is doing all of the work
1: yeah Um, well that yeah that is the thing is like so,
0: I don't, I don't know. Here's- he's so insistent that reality is supposed to follow certain rules that when he's told by someone that he at least seems to trust a great deal. Hey, like, get your head out of your butt. Like, it, reality is not conforming to what you thought it was doing. Please listen to me. This is what's happening. We have an answer his, his response to try and kill him. Yeah. Uh, Like he, and it's especially disconcerting for in a section where it's with second person pronouns being described as you, um, having a description of what felt like getting attacked and choked. That was not fun. Uh, referring back to our, um, previous topic. Right. Um,
2: And it's all because he lionizes sacrifice and and suicide, which is, again, in world what they do, uh, to the point where they keep bringing up, and they they believe in it wholeheartedly, and I guess technically we know it's true in world, Um, it's canonical that it works, they -hmm. keep bringing up this prisoner who had nothing but, you know, like, rusty something something and and killed himself even though he was shackled Mm -hmm. so if he could do it why couldn't you know the raven's least who was in theory trained his whole life to do it
1: (sighs) well but has he trained his whole life to do
0: so we don't know how much training he had but he has at least spent his entire life with the expectation that he would eventually be the Raven's lease, and then actually being the Raven's lease with the expectation that when this thing happened in the life cycle of the bird, he's supposed to die. And he, he's, he... There is a point at which he is starving to death in the basement, because he is. He's starving to death in the basement, and if he had killed himself in-world, it would have done something uh, positive or at least culturally expected and assumed to be a good thing, which is giving the sacrifice to the raven. Um, And he... There is a way in which he is choosing to die by starvation rather than choosing to die in a way that fulfills his obligation on time. Um... Now, we don't have enough description to know whether logistically he actually could have made it to the water and drowned himself, but Mawad at least is convinced that he could have and should have. And like his last words to his father before he goes back upstairs and then later the father dies are like you should have killed yourself.
2: Right. So what happens here in in this in this and it's, it is foreshadowed um and I think one of the things i i admit i don't know if I mentioned on the podcast, but I know we talked about it off mic, but is I was running on this theory that the gods mm-hmm. weren't actually a thing for a while until i think um they, it was kind of proven that they were, and one of the things I had as evidence was um hibble uh sitting on the throne without any ramifications, and what
1: that was something and, that threw me to Yeah, too,
2: but I guess what record. it actually was is that the raven is too weak to actually stop him, is is kind of what's implied. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So even if he had yes. fulfilled his obligation, I don't think it would have changed the outcome. Because I don't know if it would have given the raven enough power to yeah. overthrow the patience, which, as we had mentioned before, just takes so long to plan and thinks of every possible, (laughs) you know, outcome. And that's why they're able to do what they do. So I don't know if it is. And I don't know if the book is trying to make a point by saying, even if he had killed himself, it wouldn't have changed anything. So trying to say that that's true about suicide, that it doesn't change anything, or if that's just something to be read into it.
0: It's also hard to know if it's trying to make any kind of broader point about suicide because if it is, most of what the book says explicitly seems to be harmful to someone
2: who right. might have
0: suicidal ideas. That's why it, yeah. it's like that. It's
2: only in that like last so, few chapters that that argument could be made because the rest of it is very much yay.
0: <laughs> I, and it, it, oh, I, man. I don't think that I. Me, okay, so the I thing that I'm gonna
1: check for differently?
0: really quick is whether it starts out with a here's a number for suicide hotline, and I do not see anything about that in the book.
1: I mean, that if you put that in print, that is subject to change. I wouldn't assume they would, yeah, I would check the author it's... website or publisher site based on the book for this that kind true. of a thing because that's more ephemeral and can be updated as things change.
0: I have seen that at least in the book, but like there's no sort of statement of like. There are options, you know, even something as simple as, like, look up the number, like, there are advocates, like, hotlines like that are not a fix-all, but there's no statement leading into the book warning that it has heavy themes around suicide. And it is becoming more popular, but it's not yet ubiquitous for books to have content warnings in them. But this is one where, let this be your content warning for the book, it spends a long time talking about suicide as this positive desirable thing admittedly in this fantasy context but it's doing that and it waits until the very end yeah and even when it gets to the very end the message is he died anyway because he was being murdered via starvation and so if he had actually committed suicide it probably would have been pointless alternatively if he had committed suicide, the power might have gone to, um, the strength and patience of the hill instead. Potentially. So it would have not gone to the thing that he intended for it to, um, be to it, to power or be attributed to.
2: It just, and, and even the gods, um, are given the same treatment of sacrifice and, and suicide as good by the, all the lesser gods giving their power mm-hmm. to Oisin who is. Oh, this so is true. Even yes. them, they're, they're, uh, they're given that sort of lionization of that.
0: And, and the strength and patience of the hill who does not want to die for, for Oisin does not try to warn these minor gods that maybe they shouldn't do this like like myriad is the one going around and saying hey minor gods are disappearing maybe try not to pledge yourself too much (laughs) have constraints or something like myriad doesn't at, at least on the level of gods doesn't think that gods should kill themselves for other gods like the strength and patience of the hill kills it more than one other god, and then by the end of the book, treats the raven as one more the god that it killed and powers that with stealing what ought to have been the raven's yeah. sacrifice. Like, I. I feel unequipped to untangle all of the very complicated messaging that this book has because it is somewhere in between advocating suicide in a particular circumstance with the very necessary caveat of this is not a real world circumstance and not really seeming worried about how this message could affect readers. And that. That that's why this is our third topic, even though we don't necessarily have quite as many nuanced things to say about it, is because this is the most severe thing in the book, especially in a book written in, with like second person for a lot of it. Like,
2: yeah, it, it it's 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 a yeah. pretty intense um, message, uh, and it, and it is so convoluted because you don't know what to take away from it. Um and, and maybe the yeah. mm-hmm. the point is that there isn't a message they were just writing a story without really thinking about what it meant. So
1: I mean yeah. I have a mm-hmm. an alternate theory, maybe. Okay. I think that they the authors might mm-hmm. have settled on sacrifice, then went blood is better than something something being given that cannot be taken back back in the same form is worth more than something that is given that can be taken back like if you cut a flower and you put it on the altar you can pick up that flower and walk away with it and it's still a flower if you put blood on the altar you can't put that blood back in your veins and then willing sacrifice amps up the power because it does Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh And so, and then they settled on, okay, well, if giving life that you can't get back and giving things up willingly are the most powerful things, then of course, uh, like, active, willing participant suicide is the most powerful force here by, right. by sentient creatures. Like, of course it is, because that's the natural conclusion to that. But then I think that the Possibly the conundrum with like, well, why didn't the Raven Guard stop him? Raven God stop him. I think that's actually the answer is because the patience was stealing the Raven God's power. And I think that is the answer. I think that the reason we don't get that answer earlier is because patience doesn't doesn't think of themselves as that siphon. They're not telling us, oh, I am taking the power of this lesser god. Like, no. It's just, oh yeah, you know, I take some of the sacrifice because right. I like it and right. and so I, I i don't know i feel like that actually wraps it up really well i feel like i feel like in this case we almost have like a unreliable narrator in the form of the patients like oh yeah like that's i think is the answer is that everything the god speaks is true
2: just doesn't tell you everything
1: but if the god d- won't tell us everything absolutely not yeah that's so
0: I do agree that within the world of the book it's extremely internally consistent. Like absolutely. That that totally makes sense that that makes sense as a way that the author could have arrived at this point whether or not that's the exact logic that she used. But it it does leave a little bit of a conundrum when you finish the book and it's like wow, uh so we we rooted against the person who saved some kids from infanticide. For the person who told someone else to commit suicide and then murdered somebody else, like, there's a lot of murder going around. But, like, the the suicide and the infanticide kind of stand out as things that, in a book where it is taken for granted that there is a lot of those, those stand out to me as as being more more severe uh feel like i'm having thoughts best put in the (laughs) wrap-up um that sounds good so i'll say a little this there but yeah it feeling like i shouldn't be rooting for the one who literally saved babies and didn't want there to be a suicide that feels weird
1: uh i don't think well he he didn't want the raven guard okay okay like
0: we said earlier that habal like had very selfish reasons for stopping the infanticide and then here <laughs> has absolutely selfish reasons for not wanting to go through with his own suicide well he absolutely. doesn't want to go through with
1: his own suicide but he also doesn't want he doesn't he is an, an a usurper to the position mm-hmm. he doesn't want the raven god to get the power of the suicide yes it's not that he's but, somehow against suicide it's just that he doesn't want to die And he doesn't want the god killing him either.
0: But just from the perspective of an author wrote this, it to me does feel weird that I'm not supposed to like the character who was (laughs) in practice against infanticide and against suicide. I understand that the character was written with motivations that make that more complicated. But the author wrote the character with 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 motives that complicated that.
1: Oh yeah. To make it
0: feel like I should root against him. Like I don't root for him, but it just feels off. Um I am ready for the wrap up. <laughs>
1: Everyone, I'm Andre. And I'm Mariah. And we're the hosts of Pretty Nice. The weekly podcast where we talk anything and everything. Like horoscopes. Why rain is the worst. Our favorite Broadway musicals. The best songs of all time. Embarrassing Facebook photos. Elevator etiquette. Breakfast revolutions. And a whole bunch of other nonsense. If you love a podcast that feels like you're kicking back with your BFFs or just hanging out and chatting with friends, Pretty Nice is for you. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Buzzsprout, or your preferred podcatcher. We're also online at prettynicepodcast.com, on Instagram at prettynicepodcast, Twitter at prettynicepod, and Facebook at prettynicepodcast. Bye. Bye!
0: On to the wrap-up and ratings. Alright, so our topics, we got microaggressions, dysphoria, and advocated suicide for the gratuity rating for microaggressions. Alright, so this is definitely on screen. (sighs) From there. (laughs) Um, Yes. So how do we feel about a paragraph that explains exactly why this is bad? Where does that rate on on mild moderate or severe?
1: I I I would argue that it is not mild because it doesn't matter that you also have a paragraph about why it's bad. It's literally described exactly the things that are happening that are microaggressive which mm-hmm. is not that's that's so specific especially for something that in our real actual world is global and targets people specifically individually and yes there are a couple fantasy microaggressions here that really don't happen in the real world because or at least they don't in america because of our our christian belief systems don't give us the setup for them necessarily or well Um, and catholicism does not yeah but that's not used for this not
0: those for this particular thing, but the that's idea why I'm saying that. No, no, no. To, I'm
1: not saying warding yeah. gestures or not. I'm saying wording gestures as a microaggression. Okay. That's not what not. we do. We do other things, but but that yeah. was going to be my other point is that some of those other things that we actually do do as like body language things are depicted specifically and described. Yeah. And I don't actually know if that kicks it up to moderate or severe, but I just know that it's not a mild thing like it's it's there
0: um yeah i would say we should we should clarify that this instance most of the microaggressions are directly related to
1: twins and uh twins and uh trans people
0: yes twins and trans people and so if you're in one of those two groups or perhaps both of those groups this might get closer to severe, especially if it ends up describing microaggressions you have personally experienced. Um, There's a high likelihood of that. So for non-twin cis people, this might feel closer to moderate, but it is still obviously uncomfortable. And then it, it might be all the way to severe, depending on how your background overlaps with the characters. If you want to go ahead and just call that severe, I'm totally comfortable with that.
1: <laughs> I I feel like this might be a your mileage may vary situation. Yeah. Um, I think that the depiction is solid enough that it is at least moderate, even if it's not something you personally experience in everyday life. And I think that there are going to be people who see it as severe because it's it is something they experience or they have people close to them that experience it, or they, it just hits really hard for them for whatever reason. And I, I think we might just have to kind of say it's, it it could be both. Uh, it also shows up fairly early in the text. And so if you are unsure if it is going to be bad for you, then reading just a little bit and kind of reading with caution might be an option, like I don't, I don't think this is going to be a book that, like, if it's a possible severe thing for you, that you should just avoid and never open this book. Like, I don't think it's that bad, um, personally. But I, I think that, like, um, uh, just I, I, I don't know. I think this might be literally a if you th- if that's a thing for you that is triggering for you, be cautious with this book or avoid it. That's your choice. But if it's not this book does a really good job of illustrating how those things can kind of just show up without necessarily any malevolent or personal intent. Um, so that's a
2: thing. I would put it in severe, to be honest. And 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 my logic is a little okay. backwards on this, but so I, I'm thinking about when we talked about it. I kind of made a point that I didn't notice them, and I think that that puts it in severe because it adds that extra level of these microaggressions are something that. You see if you have if you experience this, but other people don't because they don't. And that's just even more infuriating that you would you you would kind of you already experience that in real life. That's like the point of microaggressions that not everyone notices them. So now you're you have to deal with that with this book as well.
1: Right. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm very comfortable just labeling this as severe straight up. So, uh
1: Yeah. Let's. I just want to I just want our our audience to know that like I, you might not this I this hope severe. this is not spoilers no microaggression on here results in anyone being physically harmed or having to recover does that make sense I mean I just yeah, I want to we, put that so like that's important because if we label this as severe yes there are some true. very real world Actual microaggressive threats. No one is barring any of these characters from things. No one is stopping them from getting food as a microaggression. No one is threatening their housing. No one is um, yeah. re- refusing them hospital treatment. Quite the opposite, actually. And I think that if we just full out and out label it severe with no context, and I'm sure, trying not to give spoilers, context. I'm trying mm-hmm. not to give spoilers is the hard part here. Um, I think if we just out and out label it severe with no context, because our real world microaggressions include some things that can actually threaten lives, but that in that the point. moment are not active aggressions because they're not that they're not one action, you know, they're a they're a I, compounding effect. I think that it's important that we note that even if we're we just label this as severe, um no one here is being systemically
0: the way i would phrase
1: this
0: this is that the microaggressions are not in the book immediately backed up by full-on aggressions but they are still severe for microaggressions that's okay no that 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 makes total
1: yeah no i'm i'm cool with that i just i I feel like if we just say it severe full out without anything (laughs) i -hmm. think it it lends itself toward a depiction that is very 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 much not
2: accurate yeah.
0: it is a severe microaggression that doesn't cross out of being microaggression <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah that's that's kind of what i'm going with as well uh
0: mm-hmm. especially when you have as part of the description explicitly making you aware that the couple of instances you see in the book are not the only time the character goes through this and they're very tired of it
1: Oh yeah. Oh, and they explicitly call that out. Yes, which is right. wonderful. It's
0: it's. I did appreciate that, but I it is definitely severe as a microaggression. All right, dysphoria.
1: Okay, so I'm not two- go- even going to weigh in on this. You two can handle this one because, as we talked about in the uh, in the segment, this just uh, this felt. I didn't get this at all. I was fine. Yeah.
0: So for diso- hey, so for the first one, uh, Andrew didn't get it. For this one, you didn't get it. <laughs> for, yeah. For so for like dissociation that. and dysphoria. So, and because we, I think we do have members of our audience who jump straight to the wrap up. Part of what's happening in this book is that it is large portions of it are written in second person, and it takes a very long time before we get the name associated with the character who is addressed in second person. And that created for Andrew and myself this feeling of, oh, no, am I the character? Who am I? And then that was the dissociation. And then for me, it had this additional level of dysphoria of those are not my pronouns. This is not OK. Those are not my pronouns. Um, and Andrew, you want to weigh in with your I, thoughts on this one? I
2: would um, I would say it's moderate um, with the, because the caveat that mm-hmm. as, once you get over it, you're over it. So I don't want to say it's severe, but but yeah. we both we <laughs> both had this idea that if it wasn't for this podcast, we both would have stopped reading it. Um, so, oh, yeah, I, I, I do have, have to say it starts severe, it. but I don't know if you average it out across the book, if you can call that. But, but um,
1: we uh, don't usually we don't care about averages because so many traumas happen in one chapter or one scene or one page. But this is- to yeah. be fair. So even if this is a trauma that's like for the first half or yeah. whatever. I, would, I like, mean,
2: I would say because this is the <laughs> it narrative, counts. it's it's throughout the entire book. Um, but I would say moderate. Um, so be, I also average that out because, uh, Nicole, you said you weren't affected at all. So this is something some people won't yeah. take at all. <laughs> and some people will just be not willing to read it at all. Um it gave me this idea that yeah. I was going to be reading like a choose-your-own-adventure book and I never got the choice. Oh. Oh, no. I knew it wasn't, a, though.
1: It's just a weird... You're in the adventure now, yeah. But because I knew
2: it wasn't and that <laughs> I knew that choice wasn't ever come. It was that kind of extra thing. Like It's like when the bass doesn't drop in a song. You're like, when's it going to happen? <laughs> yeah, um,
0: and as I said in the main section for this i i was fine once we learned yolo's name but it takes it's like somewhere after the 50 page mark of when we get the name of this character and for me most of the discomfort would have been alleviated if i had known the start from the jump so for anyone (laughs) partaking in this podcast the character's name is yolo and if that helps you be able to read this book that's that's his name. His name yeah. is IOLO.
1: IOLO is the Have one being addressed in like 90% of the story.
0: Um so if that helps you, there it is. It's not a spoiler, it's not some big reveal, it's just that no one addresses him by his name for a really long time. Um
1: He's literally not, in the opening scene.
0: Yeah, it's not some big reveal. So uh So yeah, I'm very comfortable with moderate because it it was the kind of uncomfortable where it wasn't like I'm hurt. It was like, I, I'm only dealing with this because we're recording this for a podcast. (laughs) Like, I don't, I, I would have been like, I don't need this. I don't need this today. I don't need this this week. If I had just been reading this book normally. Um, For our third topic which we're calling advocated suicide. Um, I think this is severe. Are there any nays?
1: <laughs> yep. No. <laughs> uh, I, I, no, this is, we will, yeah, no, this is, this is definitely severe. It gets more severe if you have any experiences with suicidal tendencies or thoughts or, um, uh,
0: or even attempts previously like just anything, anything related to suicide or or
1: even other people in your lives who have lost themselves to suicide like this this is a book where systemically culturally magically suicide is an advocated and somewhat encouraged thing and that is all I'm going to say about it it is not set up Actually, no, I have one more thought that I need to say. In this book, it is not set up as a trauma, it is set up as a triumph. So, yes, very much severe. And if you have any problems or concerns with reading a book like that, don't read this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. End of thoughts. <laughs>
1: it's hard with this one because we don't want to give any more details both for spoiler reasons and also for uh, potentially causing someone harm listening reasons so
0: Uh, for this next thing for is it integral interchangeable or irrelevant for each of these I want to hear Andrew's thought first uh, and then Nicole Mm -hmm. and I will weigh in after so for Mm -hmm. microaggressions where would you place Um, this one
2: I would well, hold on let me look at the little words that you used um I would say, I would so we s-
1: have interchangeable integral and irrelevant
2: I wouldn't say it's irrelevant because they the, what what's going on with Iolo forms a lot of why he is so driven as he is it and, and why he is um, I might say it's interchangeable um that he could have been pushed down for some other reason as a kid and been similar because I don't. And the twins. And the twins too. Yeah. Oh, right. The twins. Uh, the twins, it's, I, I would say it's a little more integral because that's, it's part of the overall sacrifice um, narrative. Um, and also, and also why they're, they're looked down upon and everything else. And also why they're distrusted. And again, why they act the way they do. And why other characters interact with them the way they do. So I, I think it's a lot harder to take that out. Mm-hmm.
0: So I would say interchangeable because, part of my language, they are such assholes that <laughs> if they had just been two characters with the job that they have who are assholes, who are with each other doing what they're doing, that would have been enough for, I think a lot of the mistrust without i do i say interchangeable because i do agree that it contributes to this thing of sacrifice Mm -hmm. and this theme of it in the book so i i don't think it's irrelevant but i don't think it had to be that people hated them for being twins i don't think it had to be that i probably should have been something
1: I I agree. I think interchangeable because Andrew, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the fact that them as they as characters and the actions that they cause on screen are absolutely necessary.
0: Well, oh, they had to do what they do.
1: They had they did like them as people had to be there, had to do what they did, had to be in the narrative. Um, I think if we were saying is their character. Interchangeable, irrelevant, or integral—they're definitely inter. But the question here, being the trauma that surrounds their character, is that how is that with the narrative? And I think that there are. I think that it is for both characters. I think it is. I would actually like. I would like to back Robin up on it being interchangeable, because I fully, fully agree that there needs to be something to motivate and to explain. Both, uh, both of our, both of sets of people that we're talking about. Let's be real.
0: Maybe this is best just phrased as there needed to be microaggressions, but they didn't need to be for these reasons.
1: Because there's a particular weight and
0: uncomfortableness that happens from microaggressions. There
1: is. But here's my, I, I think, see, this is where it's like, it's hard because we have two, we technically have two sets. We have two circumstances that are happening, that have microaggressions attached and it, it, it's 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 hard because I actually feel like they might need two different ratings or two different okay. that's fine feelings here so I'm like thinking through this as I uh as I talk it hold on um so I have lost her name who's our main our Primary character being talked to, what's her, na- what's what's his name?
0: Uh, there's the strength and patience of the
1: hill, and and there's the myriad
2: being talked to, Iolo.
1: Who uh, is was... Iolo? Thank you. Oh, I completely oh, him, blanked okay. on his name. Um, so I think with microaggressions against Iolo, I think they are interchangeable because they, as we had kind of talked about, there there is. For some people, uh this microaggression includes misgendering. Um but even for the people who are misgendering him, that comes with a side dose side dose of misogyny. There are other people who are misgen who are hinting at things but then their reasoning is classist. There are other people who are hinting at things and their reason is potentially homophobic. And I think that iolo's contributions to the story are essential but that iolo didn't actually have to be the subject of those microaggressions i don't actually actually you know what as i'm talking about it more i'm starting to think that iolo's experiencing of the microaggressions was irrelevant because there are other ways to show that a character i don't know if this is considered a spoiler we are there are other ways to show that a character is who they are without them being suffering my, microaggressions for it and i think that the microaggressions that he suffers have very much nothing to do with the actual story i think that they are purely just there to highlight this character and i think that this character's experience in the world matters but it doesn't matter for plot reasons so i think that iolo's experiencing of microaggressions is irrelevant and i think that the twins Micro uh, microaggression experiences are interchangeable because as robin stated these characters could have been terrible for so many reasons <laughs> that did not have to be a lifetime of microaggressive bullying yeah so i think that this trauma depending on which character you're talking about is either irrelevant or interchangeable so uh
0: now that we've said that. That was a really long way of, yeah. sorry, I just yeah. didn't totally
1: know where I was going until I got through mm-hmm. it, because <laughs> I so changed then, my mind halfway through as I said it out loud and went, wait a second, do you, we didn't need so this. So, Andrew, do
0: you have a counter to defend the position of them being integral, or have um, i made
2: I, you? I think I had the <laughs> same way, uh, divide, just one step higher. I think I said interchangeable and integral. I'll I'll, I'll move down to Errol okay. and uh, interchangeable
1: i mean i i feel like saying interchangeable makes sense as a whole yeah um the
0: caveat that iolo's might be irrelevant
1: yeah well and and to be fair when we set up this topic we did start with the twins and then i said hey iolo too so Mm -hmm. focusing on them also does make sense
0: and I mean that puts a little bit more towards it being irrelevant because hey, Iolo 2 isn't usually how we <laughs> feel about a topic that is, for example, integral. <laughs> oh,
1: right. Exactly. <laughs> it's not right. usually. Oh, and also, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> like yeah, no, usually it's much more <laughs> like solid and clear than that. Yeah. Uh, so. All right. I'm so, okay dysphoria. Uh. What
0: do you think? Again, you I'm, think not re- integral, I'm not really. I'm not weighing in on this relevant. at
1: all. Okay. Cause I didn't even experience it.
0: So for dysphoria around the character and then dissociation and dysphoria as a reader. Hey, Andrew, how do you feel? Did we have to? Go I, I think <laughs>
2: by <laughs> the <laughs> end. <laughs> you...
1: <laughs> Both of you came up with solutions in our topic of ways it could have been avoided. I just yeah, want to point but out. I,
2: I, I mean, saying like his name and such um, earlier, I think seemed to have been the big caveat to fixing the trauma itself, but as a narrative choice to have it in second person as someone telling a story, um, I think uh, Nicole brought up the Endlight Chronicle, uh, a few stories, but like the Endlight Chronicles where it's yeah. uh, you're witnessing a story being told. Um, I think that that does that uh, does kind yeah. of make this the second person choice makes sense in this context, and I don't think you could have written the same story the way it was written if you did it different so i would have to say that that is integral because if you didn't tell it that way you would have had to rewrite the whole story in a completely different way
1: uh i would also like to throw out really quick now granted in the andalite chronicles um it we are literally witnessing a story being told to somebody else and we're given the framing for that but i i did talk about two other books and i wanted to really quick in like just say what they did that was different uh the storyteller's daughter has a prologue where we as the reader are given that context it's just handed to us and in the bartimaeus i guess now series because they have four it's not a trilogy anymore uh we are specifically the intended audience and every almost every single chapter and in between every lines the narrator gives us context and literally talks to us as the reader and specifies they're talking to the reader and gives footnotes that give reader context that everyone in the world would know but we aren't in the world and like that's another way to do this
0: yeah I would say all
1: three books I listed have three totally different ways of handling the same setup
0: so so in Barnabas the, the point is that I am me and I'm reading this book and the narrator in this book knows that I'm reading this book. So this felt, it was confusing because I wasn't sure if it was that or not. And it took a while for me to know if it was that. And having, I think that this was, I think that the setup that created a lot of that trauma perhaps was integral, but the half of it inflicted on the reader, to me at least, could have been abated by simply giving us his name earlier so that I had something to ground myself and not have this dissociation and mm-hmm. not have this feeling of, Oh, am I supposed to be in the book? What do I, I again? don't,
2: I don't, I don't want to go too down, yeah. far down this, this track, but I actually had said this to my friend and this has to go with the skipping time. And all set this. Do you, I don't know anything about this author. I don't know if you've looked up anything about her, do you think she's someone who plays Dungeons and Dragons and is a DM usually? <laughs> I felt like she was doing the DM parts you know and what? then not putting the player parts in. <laughs>
1: and then not putting the pl- Don't, you know what, actually? <laughs> that
0: <laughs> I don't yeah. know anything about what this author does for fun. Don't really know anything
1: about oh, her. I um, don't know anything, but no, actually that makes total sense uh whether whether she actually does play dnd and dms or anything like no As you're right that is how it feels it feels like i'm listening to a dm one-sided conversation which for me again for me personally that doesn't <laughs> like
0: yeah but i'm like if i'm in if i'm here i should do something i don't get yeah. i don't get i don't get to do anything okay cool 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 cool
1: um <laughs> So um, (laughs) that fits along with what you both were saying with like or what especially with what um, Andrew was saying with feeling like, like is a choose your own adventure and the choices are being made for you. Like that's exactly.
0: Yeah. So I think overall thinking about it, I think all of this is irrelevant. I think. Oh, no. (laughs) I think. No, no. Just I think that there was no good reason for me to feel uncomfortable reading when all you had to do. Was say the character's name in the first chapter or two, especially when you say the character's name, who is one party in the conversation being listened in on, but not the other character. Like, mm. work in a way for them to naturally say each other's names. You've already told us who Mowat is. Tell us that the other one's a Yolo. Boom, done. Um, so to me, that is irrelevant. I didn't need. I didn't need to have this discomfort you could have the novelty of oh a novel in second person without that like and that is it is a cool thing but it was harder for me to enjoy that cool thing because of the dissociation caused by it and then as for dysphoria for the character within the book I feel like it is irrelevant and it's a little off-putting to have the main way we interact with this character being trans is when other people make gendered assumptions related to their agab like yeah that that didn't feel great um
1: do we actually know if this author is cis trans or other
0: i don't know and i
1: i i couldn't remember because we we have a vetting process for our books that we end up deciding how to do, and then of our vetting process, we have literally hundreds of books that we just haven't decided to do yet. And now, I, I couldn't and and I couldn't remember if knowing something about the author bumped this book up on our list or if we just thought it sounded cool.
0: Nah, this this made it in as one of the very early ones that was recommended. This is before oh, we made okay. the pivot. This is from before we made a pivot to prioritizing queer authors and authors of color. I okay. don't know if this author is queer. I did not find evidence that they are. Okay. Um, so to, to well, me, as as a trans reader, it felt like a very, a a well-meant but very cis interaction with the concept of transness. There's enough to tell us that it's happening. It's... Mostly respectful, but the way that it ends up mattering to the plot is in the form of microaggressions. yeah and and it was done in a way that caused me a trans person dysphoria to read. And so all of that together was like I didn't I didn't need that. like I'm glad there's one more character with a, a trans a not, one more book with a trans main character, but, I wouldn't recommend this book because of trans rep. Yeah. So I would recommend it for other reasons. But not not that one. I've got I got other books if you want uh books with trans characters. So that's how I feel about that one. Uh for advocated suicide, what do you what do you think? Well, Kendrick? as part of a
2: story, I feel like it's kind of the driving force of the story, so I can't I, I, I don't. I don't know <laughs> yeah. how you would sh- oh, yeah. switch that out for something else. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is integral. Yeah.
1: yeah this is a like, fully cultural, fully integral, fully everything. Without this, there is no plot. There is no world as it exists in this book. Yeah.
0: Without the pressure of thou shalt self sacrifice upon this hour, what do you mean they didn't do it? Oh no! Like that's <laughs> the plot. Yeah. Why didn't they do this on time? <laughs>
1: yeah jeez.
0: yeah and uh, i i have described this book possibly earlier during the recording but definitely elsewhere as a murder mystery where part of the mystery is whether or not there's a body and a murder Ooh,
1: <laughs> i like
0: like yeah i like the description and i think it really gets at the heart of what this book does well Mm-hmm. because like the whole oh it's in second person and oh there's a trans main character like those are true those aren't the reasons i would recommend it
1: yeah I, I will say, though, if you canonically read Murder Mysteries, you're not going to pick up this book and go, aha, my people. Like, no. the, this is it's very much an adventure fantasy. Mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That might be why I like it, because Murder Mysteries very much bore me. Whoops. So maybe that's why I like this book.
0: All Uh-oh. right. So how do we feel about whether these things were treated with care?
1: <laughs> um... Hey, I would like to suggest something. Uh, I would like to say that maybe we divide up this section and each of us makes the call for each for one. Since we have three people, sure, yeah, we each make the call for the uh topic that impacted us the most. Okay, if that splits up evenly. So, what do you think, so is that okay? Because the there the, are our, our problem with treating things with care is that that is so subjective. Yeah. Um. But if we have the ability to, kind of divvy it, divvy it up.
0: So uh, so either me or Andrew for the first one, either Nicole or Andrew for the second one, and then whoever's left. And
1: either me or Robin for the third one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Andrew, which one do you want? <laughs> what it does what that? Is that okay? Does that feel? Yeah, that's
2: fine. Um, doable. I guess I'll do dysphoria. Okay.
1: Okay.
0: So you'll do the middle one. So I will take.
1: Robin, you the... do microaggressions.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll do microaggressions and you do the last one. Okay. So for microaggressions, I I feel like it was not enough because because the way there's that paragraph that's basically. It describes this culture as equivalent of someone holding their purse tighter when someone that they're scared of for no reason, except racism gets in an elevator. That's Mm -hmm. the cultural equivalent of what was described in this book. And as a microaggression, it's possible that almost the exact microaggression described in the book may have happened possibly even more than once to a reader. And Given that, that depending on, you know, mood or time of day or like what you've been dealing with when you sit down to this book, that that might be very triggering. And I think that overall, it is not enough care. I'm glad that the book took the time to show this is how microaggression looks. But
1: even without malevolent intent. Malevolent intent. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, it it showed like the way this kind of prejudice works and the way it causes these little microaggressions. But also, like Andrew said, he didn't even realize this was a thing. So it's like, I don't, it feels like it might be super obvious to people already sensitive to it, but also subtle enough that it doesn't really show up for the people who might need to notice that this is a thing. And so for all of that, I say that that one is not enough care. Okay. All right. Andrew, thoughts on the uh, dissociation and dysphoria?
2: Um, so I think because there was so many easy ways to kind of fix them, I would say there's not enough care. Um, and then we kind of...
1: Is it all the way down to being no care? Or is it like there was some care, but it was not good enough? I
2: would say uh, some care, but not good enough, because I do think we do okay. End up like I said at the end, we. I, I kind of mentioned this um, that I was like into this by the end. I was into the story, and I was like, "Oh yeah, you're talking to me. I'm mad at what's happening at the story because I'm supposed to feel that." So <laughs> I do think that we did get there in the end. So I don't want to say no care, um, but but if if we'd mm-hmm. been able to get there sooner, I would have you know probably been. A lot happier
1: okay um and then for advocated suicide this was not treated with any care this is <laughs> no care again without spoilers without hopefully using harmful language or triggering language at all this book puts a cultural pressure on people to suicide as a self-sacrifice in a way that is a problem if they back out. Um it's built into quite literally the fabric of the world that exists in this book. There is no way around it, there is no way out of it, there is no way. There is there aren't even pockets of hinted at places in this whole existence where there's another way. <laughs> so zero care built in in a way that directly advocates suicide, directly advocates self harm, directly advocates for people to plan for their own and their loved ones' death by the from the time they are born. And it it not only does not take any care with the reader, it directly advocates for this thing as a common practice. It's not even considered a problem. It's considered an honor so zero care it's not even framed in the book as traumatic it's framed as helpful (laughs) so
0: yeah locked into that for years or decades in advance like yeah all right uh point of view uh okay i want to say this because i love this name and i've said it before all right so (laughs) the point of view for the entire book is the strength and patience of the hill uh I love this character name. But anyway, uh, that's who is narrating all of this. Some of it is in second person, addressed to Iolo. But we never get Iolo's thoughts because it's the Strength and Patience of the Hill narrating (laughs) what Iolo did and what um, the Strength and Patience of the Hill's best guess is at what at the reasons for why Iolo does things, but we don't actually get anybody else's direct thoughts. Uh, And then we also have sections where the strength and patience of the hill tells the parts of their own story that predate Iolo and don't have anything to do with him.
1: Yeah, it's it's we have one voice. It's second person. It's second person with a narrator who is canonically narrating things that he either saw and knows to be true or has heard about from someone else who in theory probably got it maybe right, but he can't say it's a hundred percent true because laws of magical physics.
0: <laughs> and we've all kind of used like whatever pronouns for the strengths and patience of the hill because as far yeah. as I'm aware, there are no p- pronouns ascribed to them. I had been using them. Nicole was using him. Andrew said uh, that he was using she/her. Like, it's.
1: <laughs> I do like that. I I do like that we have we literally all picked different things. I think I think I jumped on he him because the patience is talking to a he him character, and I think I just like slid those sideways.
2: Yeah, I um.
1: But like, yeah, like there isn't
2: like well, any. I listen to the audio. But... I
1: lo- I love that we all have different views of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. was it a female voice? Oh, oh okay. <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay. Okay. And I did they, them
0: because rigorously mentally, I am <laughs> like. Like, not gendered in my own life, consistently making the choice to assume that pronouns are they, them until I find out otherwise because it generally works better than assuming any other starting point. Um, and so I applied that to this character and just never adjusted. And then, get on pre recording, Andrew starts talking about she, and I'm like, Who?
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's a she in this book? What? I mean, that's not true there are there are, there are, there are plenty of of, of female characters uh no yeah. i just i i find that beautiful that we all especially because we all have three different reasons for it like mm-hmm. that's great
0: yeah <laughs> so uh and as for aftermath the book ends rather abruptly but anyway
1: uh <laughs> well exploring... i would argue that there really isn't any aftermath for anybody for anything because we're yeah. not in first person and we're this not in true. third person this mm. is literally a a third party recalling, again, things that may or may not have transcribed precisely this way because we are just being given like third hand storytelling, except for the things that he knows are true. And so it's like, we don't get the aftercare because that wasn't part of the story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like- uh, aspiring writer tip.
1: Oh, yeah, we didn't prep Andrew for this at all. Would you like us... I, I did describe oh, it you briefly. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah. Okay, wonderful.
0: So either something <laughs> that we think if it had... That could make a book Ooh. like this better or Ooh. that we think it did well that we would like to see in other books. Asp- either one.
1: Aspiring writer tip. How to sec- set up second person.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, that is mine unless Andrew
2: has um, another one. No, I I... I used to be a joke writer so i don't know about writing narratives
1: <laughs> but um, you are a reader yeah so you do know about reading narratives so you can talk about like we don't like you can talk about the reader no, experience on yeah, something I'm, I'm or not l- having l- something
2: l- i think that's the the exact <clears throat> one the, the second person okay
0: mm-hmm. if you're going to do second person ground do something that grounds your reader so that they don't so that they're at least less likely to have this confusion and dissociation of where do I actually fit in this book am I in the book what is going on and for this particular one just just give us the character's name earlier that's, that's all we need for this particular <laughs>
1: story um, yeah and will I, w- I so- will say this as someone who was completely unbothered by the way the second character was set up I wouldn't be thrown off by that fix That's not a fix that would somehow detract from the story at all. It's just a fix.
0: Like, so if you are writing a book in second person, like, go for it. It was interesting. I would read more books in second person, but it would help a great deal reading it in second person if I'm given something to either concretely state that it's supposed to be talking to me like the Bartimus trilogy does, where it's expected that like you're you reading a book and that's the whole framing Mm. or in this particular book, if they had gone the other way and, and giving me the grounding to know that it isn't supposed to be me and affirmatively, who is it instead that would have helped a great deal. Um, Because the experience of having a body described that is not my body being told that it's my body and then not having another name to put with that description was just, it was very stressful, as I have mentioned. Um, but on to less stressful things. Andrew, what was your favorite non-dramatic thing about the book?
2: Um, well, for me, uh, I'm trying to think of a way to word this without spoilers. Um, one of the characters, I'll, I'll word it this way. One of the characters escapes death by transforming the way everyone else views them and uh it was very clever the way it was done and i and i thought it was it it seemed very counterintuitive until you see the end results of what they did and and that was kind of the the cleverness of that was really what got me it's late in the book and yet that was when i was really like oh i like this character
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. robin do you have one you want me to go
0: uh mine is uh the names of all the gods, particularly the strength and patience of the hill. I just so, I I really love those. Those are great. Like I like the myriad. I like the backstory for the myriad. Uh all the god names, but especially the strength and patience of the hill.
1: So I uh without too many spoilers. Oh, actually I do want to say I do have a favorite. Do we all have a favorite god name? 'Cause I have a favorite god name and Andrew if you have one that's everybody.
2: Um yeah, You don't I have mean, to, I've, but I I kind of like the raven. Um it reminds me of um the Black Company series and it just I like that.
1: Mm. Mhm. I like the mounder up of skulls.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's uh,
1: I just I love <laughs> I I love how specific it is. Uh-huh. He doesn't this god doesn't care about anything else. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, I mean it tells you exactly how to worship him too. It's but.
1: wonderful. It's descriptive. It's simple. It's doable in a hunter society. You can just do this thing and it's beautiful. <laughs> uh okay, but for real though. My I think one of my favorite things I have two is that okay. Uh mm-hmm. one favorite thing is that I love the way the gods are set up. Um And I love the variance in their power levels. And I love that it is the individual god's choice to be variant in their power levels. Uh, As kind of hinted upon with the mounder up of skulls.
2: Uh, Mm -hmm. There are some
1: gods that literally only care about the one thing. But that doesn't make them less powerful. Because if people worship them and worship them with regards to that thing, some of the most powerful gods do one thing canonically. And, but there's also very powerful gods that have like precedence over, say, an entire woodland and everything that occurs in it. And so it's super varied, but the gods' power level is dependent on their worshipers but the thing that they have power over is a choice they're not assigned it no one picked it for them it's a little bit nature it's a little bit i guess like personal nurture but like this one god got like super into just making piles of skulls this other god (laughs) just got like super into like how arrowheads work this other Mm -hmm. god just got like super into every single kind of knife and that's it that's all they care about they don't care about literally anything else and it's just great um the other the other thing that i i that i i really like is i got distracted by that i re- i just really like i think the setup of just the yeah. gods in general i think is my thing actually
0: so uh i think that's it andrew just in case we had anyone who just listened to the wrap-up since we offer that uh sectioned off and spoiler free for that reason uh can you Say again who you are, what your podcast is, and uh, plug your pluggables.
1: Yes. Where can we find you?
2: Sure. Uh, so again, my name is Andrew McGuire, and I am the co-host of Being Nostalgic with my wife, Beatriz Lopez. Um, that's Be Nostalgic, B-E-A, Nostalgic. Um, we talk about 80s and 90s movies. Um, we just actually had Robin on um, for uh, Labyrinth uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh-huh. We are also on Twitter at be nostalgic again b e a nostalgic and also Instagram. Don't go to wor- be too worried about going to Instagram. I put like a picture on there like once a month. <laughs>
0: uh, and if you're looking for my appearance in Labyrinth, that was back in the very end of August because by the time this episode comes out, it will be December 2020. But uh, yes, uh, I was on for the episode of labyrinth and i had a really great time so uh yes so thank you so much for joining us uh this is at least the first episode with a guest in our recording order not sure if it's going to be the first one in our release order i'd have to check but we're so excited to have you and
2: thank oh, you for, thank joining you for us. having me
0: All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. You can email us with questions, comments, or book recommendations at books that burn
1: at yahoo.com support us on patreon.com slash books that burn all patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one time shout out you can leave us an itunes review this helps people to find the show and find us on itunes stitcher google play or wherever you get your podcasts thanks for listening we'll be back in two weeks